think it's Desmond Tutu that said, it's all very well, we're pulling these people out of the river, but if we went upstream and worked out why they're falling in, and I think the menopause is a bit, for me, it's a little bit like that. If we can catch them before they fall into the river and they can set up a good quality of a lifestyle, getting things in place, then that shift, that transition could be so much more comfortable. and welcome to another Human Givens podcast. I'm Jay Baker and I'm part of the Human Givens team and today I'm going to be talking to Kim Thomas about menopause and facing the challenge of that change. Hi Kim, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello Joe, and thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited about being here and sharing with you and your listeners how we all can begin to look at supporting women's well-being and helping women manage their menopause symptoms. So Kim's a fully qualified clinical hypnotherapist, as well as a trained human givens and person centered psychotherapist, too. And she supports her clients to let go of any negative thoughts or feelings or myths or beliefs that they've unwittingly downloaded throughout their lives and allows them just to fade past. And Kim refers to this process as defragging the hard drive, which I think is a fantastic metaphor. Kim specializes in and is, is really passionate about helping and supporting women to manage their menopausal journeys, which for some can be really distressing and often quite challenging and sometimes debilitating too and sometimes really a process that they actually need to come to terms with and recently menopause seems to have been a topic that's been highlighted in women's health which is really great news um, because all women are going to experience this change at some level in their lives and for some the symptoms and treatment methods are just really not understood at all with many women experiencing so many unknown perimenopausal symptoms for years so Kim yeah such an important subject and and really not explored in that greater depth until more recently Kim you know for for many years the menopause has been known as the change the end of menstruation but it's a bit more complicated than that isn't it it is and um (laughs) but for some it isn't for some it is Um, so it really does depend so what we know about women's symptoms, and I've got a list here when I'm working with clients of 32 symptoms, but it doesn't just stop there. It rolls over. So for some, it can take over their lives. For others, they can simply sail through it. Uh, the menopause itself is actually curiously just one day. And uh, there are three stages. There's a series of gradual changes that the body begins to adjust through a time and mother nature very carefully does try and assist us in this as our shifting hormones and literally the menopause is when we stop menstruating so it's officially uh, when a woman has not had a period for 12 or 9 depending on who you look at consecutive months Uh, this is for women reaching menopause naturally okay Uh, the time leading up to that is called the perimenopause this is when women are still having their periods but perhaps notice a few changes perhaps are less tolerant more anxious or just not managing life quite as well as they were before this can sometimes lead uh, a woman to go to her gp and gps are hopefully becoming more aware and are stepping forward but historically a GP had 
perhaps less time to, to share, um, would prescribe sleeping bells or antidepressants, which were often, in my uh, view, prescribed quite unnecessarily. Um, uh, unable to join the dots up, then women would go away, then on a cycle of taking uh, whatever medication is being prescribed. And really the symptoms not changing, perhaps uh, it still yes, being really difficult with, with what, what's going on for them. Um, the menopause, the perimenopause, because it creeps up for many women quite slowly, can impact on their family and the work dynamics. So it, it affects relationships, whether that's at home or with friends out, out in the workplace. Um, I've worked with many women who have fractured relationships. Uh, and it's quite interesting that when women sometimes get to midlife, they become more and more aware of perhaps what their own mothers experienced. And as they reflect back, think about how they were as teenagers managing their mother in, in this, this time. And, and it's, it can be a real eye-opener. That's so interesting, Kim, because I actually haven't ever, much my shame, ever thought about it like that. But I have thought about my mum's own journey which was one of those very simple and it just stopped <laughs> and oh. she had very few other other symptoms and she was in her 50s when that happened for her mm. um I hadn't actually really reflected about the dynamics in our relationship at that time um and how that might have impacted on that and I, I think I'd already left home um when when that um you know happened for her however my journey has been completely different to that and, and started at a much younger age and you know and, and that's something that we are more and more aware of now aren't we things are happening at a much younger age for some people they can and um you know the average age they say is 51 um obviously there, there are other medical reasons why that that can change but we can be curious why that might be be happening i mean what a, a personal theory i hold is that we are experiencing more and more stress in our lives um, and we know that a stress hormone that comes in i call cortisol and adrenaline is going to shut down unnecessarily functions in the human body because we're all about survival so perhaps there could be a link between that cortisol adrenaline link and the body going mm, haven't got the energy to put into this hormone balance right now and so perhaps could bring about an earlier menopause I don't know um we could also look at food nutrition environment there's many many different reasons perhaps um and hopefully in time that will come to light be better understood and is there a genetic element to that because it wasn't until I started um experiencing symptoms and was told by GPs and and and, and various other health professionals that I was far too young and my dad actually told me that my grandma was 38 yes yeah, um, genetics definitely have a, a, a key role in this, yeah. not just physically, but emotionally, because we can have an expectation. Uh, and one of the questions I often ask my clients is, what was the, the people, the women around you, your primary carers or the people that, what were their experience? What did you unwittingly download about what you thought this might experience? We know people talk about painful birth and you know women it can terrify women and they they believe that that's what is going to happen but yes genetics and the timeline do correlate but not always no okay something that I've I've been more aware of I think perhaps because of conversations I've had with you Kim in the past and and also you know the the age that I'm at just more aware of of some young women 
very young women in their 20s and, and late teens going through this experience as well. Yeah. And so I think we just need to be aware that it is not something that is, you know, the sole domain of women in their 40s and 50s. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. And Joe, the, the thing that can be so tragic is that if it's not recognised, these young women could have their eggs harvested. Mm. Um, and because they are dismissed, don't be ridiculous, you're far too young, then you know it, it's put right on that back boiler until it's too late. And so, again, a greater awareness um, and education needs to be put in place so that these women can you know the technology is incredible these days and to harvest those eggs and store them until a point when you're ready perhaps to to start a family would be such an emotional relief for, for these women huge it would be you know literally life-altering yeah. so you talked about the I think 32 uh symptoms that, that you have a list of but you know so what sorts of things do people experience what effect do women have emotionally and and physically <laughs> well, we're going to use that wonderful phrase. It depends, doesn't it? Uh -huh. <laughs> that phrase has recently made itself its way onto some human given students T-shirts. <laughs> yes. uh, and, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? Circumstances really do alter cases. So um, but, you know, as an overview, what what sorts of things might we see? And it's about joining the dots up because so let's just say and we know we, we know as HG therapists the cycle of depression that that's in there that if we're not getting that good quality restorative sleep uh, then our needs then they aren't going to get met and so sleep can be a real key uh, precursor to other other things that are going to go on so we can feel quite anxious we can feel quite low we can lose the motivation to get up to meet friends to give and receive attention to have that you know uh, the sense of purpose that goes in there so the weight gain can slowly creep up um, you know we'll we'll cover some of that as well because you know weight is a huge one that comes in uh, because women and their self-esteem you know am I still uh, attractive etc etc there's so much that that's going on but anxiety is one that creeps up and it's it can be really confusing for many women because they go but I don't I used to be able to manage this I don't understand why I'm not mm. and it doesn't make sense so that you know it's kind of what is going on and that's when they start to think they're going mad that there's something going on cognitively for them and of course that's the the brain fog that that can kick in Absolutely. So if you were working with somebody who was experiencing those symptoms, then perhaps starting to help them work on their sleep is, is a really good place to start because we Absolutely. know sleep has such an effect on, on all of those things. And, you know, I hear many women talking about, you know, disturbed sleep and in, you know, intermittent insomnia with menopause symptoms. So how might you begin to, to work with that? Well, we'll look at, first of all, what's going on for them. So uh, when I work with clients, I provide them with sleep diaries, food diaries, hopeful, happy thinking, positive thinking journals, many different, again, depending on what the client brings, brings to the table. But if, when it comes to sleep, we might look at what sleep hygiene they've got in place. What, what are they actually doing? Um, so we encourage things like having single duvets. So the partner uh, that might not get so frustrated with the duvet, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, <laughs> you know, because that disturbs the other people as well. Yeah. Um, being able to sleep, you know, have some ventilation in that room, having cotton, 
having a hot bath or a hot shower, interestingly, lowers the body temperature. So all the things that we would set up, starting to train the brain, not activating, uh, stimulating anything exciting, you know, just everything very calm, chamomile tea, uh, reading a really relaxing book or magazine, nothing that's going to spike anything. Food is really key in there as gain. And what might be okay for you, or myself will be completely different for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking at, so it, it comes down to finding a greater awareness for that woman that she can suddenly go, aha, right, I, I get that. If I consume that, or if I behave like this, that's going to, I mean, anxiety, we know that that cuts across good quality sleep. So I guess it's, and, and poor sleep, you know, feeds into anxiety, doesn't it as well? But. So I guess all of this that you're saying is really about the, you know, the raising awareness, educating and really giving your client back a sense of control that actually they they do have an element of control over some of these things. They can make small improvements in each area that will add up to, a, you know, a, a larger improvement overall. One thing we know, Joe, about control uh, is that people don't believe in themselves that they have that capacity to find control Uh, and that may be for various reasons but that lovely 7-eleven technique that we've all learned with 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 human givens uh, just practicing that and it can be absolutely mind-changing because they suddenly realize just before they go into a meeting where previously they may have got a little bit more anxious, a little bit more worked up, throw in the menopause, then that adds up a bit more. I'm going to have a hot sweat. My colleagues are going to see me. I'm going to have hot 7-Eleven breathing. Mm. And they can go into that meeting without that activated level of arousal that's going on for them. And I think you touched a little bit earlier on um, people's expectations of how they will experience menopause because of what they've heard, um, what they've seen in the media, perhaps, you know, tales from uh, parents and grandparents, etc. And so if there's an expectation that your sleep is going to be poor at a certain period in your life, then it, it's likely that your sleep will deteriorate. Um, and if there's an expectation that when you wake in the night, oh, my goodness, I've woken in the night because I'm menopausal and then the brain's active. And yeah. so I'm sure, you know, using the psychoeducation around that is, is hugely, hugely empowering to your clients. Yeah. If we change the way we think about things, the things we think about change. Yes, absolutely. And that's not to take away at all from the very real, you know, physical and emotional symptoms that people experience. But it's just saying, actually, there are things that we can do to improve them. There are. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll definitely, you know, we can... Davina McCall at the moment is you know out there um, doing lots of her TV programs, which is fantastic because there's more and more awareness happening. However, there's a little bit of me that perhaps sees that that could disempower women. Okay. That this this belief that HRT is the only answer, and for many women it is a answer, but there mm-hmm. are other answers too. And just because you've got a headache doesn't necessarily mean you have to take a headache pill. Sometimes it's about, (laughs) you know, sometimes it's about having a a glass of water or just taking five minutes out, releasing some tension, going for a walk. Um, Mm. And then, oh, okay, no, I've still got this headache. Maybe then I need to medicate. Sure. Yeah. 
Okay, so you mentioned, you know, we, we've we've looked at, at sleep, and you mentioned, um, you know, the the duvet coming off and, and going back on again, and you know, some some things you can do around sleep hygiene. But is that, you know, what what other things do you work with as well? So we know that smoking is is a big one. So we work a lot on helping clients to uh, get rid of, if you like, some of those habits that perhaps could hinder calmer transition with the menopause so caffeine alcohol smoking excessive use of the gym interestingly enough really that's interesting okay because we're all told to get more active and I I guess there's a a, you know is is that to do with the increase in cortisol absolutely so it's it's spiking those stress hormones again and you know anything to reduce stress in the body during this time right and, and, you know, it might have been a conversation with you, actually, but uh, I remember somebody saying to me that, you know, actually running uh, during perimenopausal transition is is not so good for women. And actually, you should just be able to, you know, if you're running, that you should be running at a pace where you can have a conversation with your friend. Yeah. And, and actually walking is, is much better. And I guess that, again, is to do with, those, you know, the, the hormonal effect in the body. Yeah. If we create stress, the liver uh, and the adrenals have to do some really strong, important work. Mm. And we actually need the liver and the adrenals to start because the liver actually can give out a very weak estrogen. But if it's diverted off to deal with cortisol and adrenaline, it's, it, it doesn't have time to do that because it's not a priority. No, no, of course, because at that point you're, you know, you're, you're going into fight or flight, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But would you recommend things like, you know, the, the strength activities, the, the more, more weights activities for, for women? Absolutely. It's about bone density. Mm-hmm. density. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, those that, sort of fast walking, using weights, you, you know, you don't have to go to the gym. You can use tins of baked beans or something, anything that's just going to you know, carry the shopping. There are many different ways of helping that bone density, but yeah, not running, not not going to the gym, but just gently. It's more, you know, a nice long stroll as opposed to a sprint. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So we've talked about, you know, sleep and perhaps people experiencing night sweats. What about hot flushes during the day? You know, I know you said about 7-Eleven breathing, but is there anything else that people can be doing to help that? Okay, so uh, whether you're in the workplace or or at home, it's finding this level of control, taking in that 7-Eleven breathing. But again, as HG therapists, we all know the value of using guided imagery. And it's quite interesting how if you can just take five minutes or, or even two minutes and start rehearsing, imagine what it feels like to step out into the snow or under a, a waterfall or just dipping your toe into an icy cold lake. What does that begin to feel like? Because it's amazing how the body can then start to send those cooling thoughts and feelings. Mm. I remember when Gareth and I were on our part two, and I think it was Joe, but it might have been Ivan. They taught a technique of of using an ice mask. So this this mask of ice can just appear in front of your face and it doesn't have to touch your face, but it can just be near enough that you you feel that cooling sensation. Mm And to actually, we did an exercise where we we used that on each other, and it was absolutely astounding, you know, the sensation that you would get from from that that cooling. 
Yeah, we've got you know, all our senses and we can use those in that guided imagery. And for some clients, you know, the auditory isn't as powerful. So uh, you might use a photograph. We all know if we see something that's absolutely horrific, how our body can sort of re tense up and respond to that picture. Well, if you show a picture of somebody with a bikini on stepping into a lake with ice floating on the top, ooh, <laughs> you immediately have that oh, sensation I just got a shiver just then actually <laughs> yeah okay so really really powerful use of the imagination yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. excellent okay and and what about when you know women are experiencing you talked about you know the effect on on relationship dynamics that can perhaps be due to to mood or, or sleep disturbance what about when when it's impacting their sex drive that can be a real challenge because it, it, it comes down to, again, you know, their, their own sense of their self-confidence and their belief of, of who they are. Okay. Uh, and if, if that relationship is based on one particular story uh, about what they look like, then that, that can be the different. Hopefully relationship has evolved enough to, to see it as a friendship of something far deeper than that sex drive that comes in there. Because let's face it, we are no longer going to produce babies so that natural drive is going to alter and and it, that's okay but then it comes down to the caring loving deeper part of a relationship because making babies is gone we now move into something far more profound for many people but it can be difficult and we do need to have understanding partners um and again you know better quality sleep being able to be less stressed is really going to add to helping that libido come back up a little bit. Mm, mm, absolutely. And what about some, you know, I know that a friend of mine felt that her personality had completely changed. Uh, well, some people do. They, they think that that old person is gone. But, you know, is the new person a good thing or a bad thing we can be curious about that so there's a little hormone that we don't talk about too much so in the picture with with the menopause it, it, we've got the estrogen progesterone the big ones and we've got the testosterone the other one that comes in there is that oxytocin it's not one that we talk about a lot but it's the, you know it tends to be our caring hormone and oxytocin comes in because as women we are generally about looking after caring for i'm not saying that men don't because they absolutely do 100 some but it generally the body when 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 a woman gives birth she's flooded with oxytocin and that's mother's nature way of saying regardless of what this little bundle is going to bring into your life you are going to love it you are going to care for it and that oxytocin starts to deplete and what can be really confusing in relationships is because we've been this oxytocin flooded uh, woman that when it starts to deplete just a little bit you can get a woman that every Thursday she's made her husband you know a steak and kidney pie and I'm being a bit sexist here but not not intentionally but just an example and all of a sudden she's thinking I don't want to make this steak and kidney pie every Thursday you know <laughs> simple as I've done it for the last <clears throat> years so now we've got a woman going do you know what I really <clears throat> but then the husband's going or the partner's going well that means you don't love me anymore then because you're not making me the steak and kidney pie you know it, and it can just roll into this 
but you know, one of it's whether she's got the energy, but also she wants to move on perhaps and do other things with her life, not just do those things that perhaps historically she's been used to doing. Mm. And and I wonder if this, you know, is is quite a you know a precursor to, to some couples seeking couples therapy as well as their you know might have shared a, a similar model of reality for the big part of their relationship and then perhaps if one or both are going through the menopause at, at the same time then those models of reality shift and then oh. that shared understanding needs to come back together yeah. yeah and you know what we want to say is it's not you or it's not you know it's your hormones so let's just press that pause button let's just look at what's going on here because it doesn't mean just because we change a as you say a model of behavior that we don't care about this person we absolutely do but it it is just fluctuating hormones Uh, uh, and once we can balance those back out again as best we can then we can get on and really start to enjoy life Mm, and I guess, you know, as, as we go through this, the balance of our, our needs changes as well. And I, I, I wonder if it's a, a really useful time for for women to be doing an emotional needs audit. Oh, and I, I'm, I'm sure that's something that you do with your clients anyway, Kim. So the emotional needs audit and the PM14 are absolutely key. And it, it, it would be really fantastic if you could have done those with a, a 20 year old and then revisit them you know and just see how they've what's shifted what's changed uh, you know and I've got clients that say Do you know I revisit it every month mm. you know I, they just go back to it and go oh because there's been a shift there's been a change and we're all it's fluid isn't it we're all changing mm. Mm. yeah and I think that shift rather than change is is quite a, a useful way to look at it because we're you know we we haven't changed as as humans we're still fundamentally the same human being that we were but perhaps we've shifted into into a different gear yeah 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 it could the menopause this transition can be very empowering for women you know if they and it, it might sound that they're being selfish but self-care isn't selfish. It definitely isn't. And, you know, we can look at Maslow's hierarchy of need and, and look at that self-actualization. And it's, it's, it's empowering women. And perhaps the younger women can learn that they can have that, then, then the better. Because, again, that can be a, a belief that they've downloaded from perhaps their younger years, um, that, that they perhaps can't have it all, but they can menopause women come up against a barrier because they are having to manage things because their energy levels might be dropping slightly but given a little bit of time and some patience they will come back this isn't forever Mm. and I guess as you said it's about that understanding and and the education and raising awareness of of one's own body and and I think that's something that you know perhaps we take for granted Kim because of the training that we've had but not everybody is educated in in that way and why should they be you know but perhaps maybe that that's the sort of thing that ought to be coming through more of really getting in touch and knowing your body knowing the way that your body responds and what helps it and what hinders it yeah and you know that might make this shift a little bit smoother for for yeah. some people you said that, you know, traditionally people may have gone to doctors and perhaps been given sleeping pills or antidepressants. So often quite inappropriately uh, as well, through no fault of the GPs, but as has been highlighted in, in recent times, the, the lack of training 
is is quite astounding considering that you know roughly 50 percent of the the you know their patients are guaranteed to go through this at some point so you know is misdiagnosis a, a, a common thing and, and what sorts of things can it be misdiagnosed as often i wouldn't say it's misdiagnosed i think it's missed Right. It, it can be oh because of you know you're working oh you've got this going on stress you're not sleeping um and and they don't for some reason see the value or the the power of our hormones mm-hmm. so i i guess then it's about just being you know having the, the the courage to to keep going back and saying no this is this is not right actually and and i need to be heard yes yeah yeah there are more GPs apparently that are coming into some menopausal training. Historically, um, as far as I've been told, they're given one morning during their whole seven, eight years of, of medical training on the, on the menopause, which considering how it impacts on every single part of a woman, it down to her urinary behavior, her adrenals, her brain, then, uh, you know, one morning it's 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 quite more gps are setting up private practices Mm. um we've got louise leeson in um stratford upon avon who um i think believed she was going to be on her own i think she's now got 20 gps in her practice all all supporting uh and many of them online now women with that menopause and she's prescribing or they uh, in that clinic are prescribing hrt mm-hmm. oh that's that's amazing and you know we're, we're lucky we do have quite a few gps that come through uh, our training with the human givens college so um you know there is definitely the, the that awareness is is raising and i know that they're going out and doing some really really fantastic work mm. so your way of working you know how does working from the human givens perspective help again coming back to the emotional needs audit and the pm14 form having a look at that depending on what your client what 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 she's arrived with you but if it's about sleep working with the sleep if it's about weight that's a big one for many women you know they the diet industry's got a lot to answer for and the yo-yo dieting does not work with menopausal women we need a constant energy flow we don't need that spiking of the blood sugars in the 20s, you know, you could perhaps eat all what you did and, and not get a good night's sleep and still thrive. We Midlife women, unfortunately, can't pull out the same things that they that they could. The fat around the middle that, that midlife women really struggle with, and that, that I say that's one that comes, comes into my room quite often, can be associated with excess levels of stress hormones. Uh, again, back to that, that cortisol, cheeky little number there. And this can happen before the menopause, of course, but if we're in a chronic chronic state of stress, then the body's encouraged to store fat, particularly around the middle, uh, because again, it comes back to that fight or flight response where our stress hormones are released because they're thinking that there's imminent physical danger. So they generate this response to the run or, or fight. But if you're in that constant state of chronic stress, the one thing the body does is think, I need to store this because I need enough energy and it stores it around the middle because it can very quickly be converted from that liver back into, into danger, into that energy when, when danger comes. Uh, but of course the danger doesn't come. So we're left with that 
that fat around the middle. So again, back to you know reducing stress, the seven air of breathing, all those relaxing techniques that as HG therapists we, we are trained to use, they are absolutely magic ones from for women and their well-being. Mm. So I guess you're really, you know, you're really looking at approaching it from a cognitive and a behavioral and also an interpersonal, um, you know, relationship point of view as yeah. well. It is a holistic approach. It is looking at the whole of that woman, everything in her lifestyle and say, OK, perhaps if we tweak that, if we can work with this, then your journey, this shift could be made far more comfortable than if you are so stressed and so anxious and and you're used to having a big bar of chocolate and a bottle of red wine at the end of the day because that's what you've used so far to step that press that pause button it's only going to exacerbate those 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 symptoms it's only going to make things worse and it's like this isn't forever this is just while we get that body back into sync getting those hormones back to a comfortable level if you like whether that's with hrt or without hrt and i guess that's where you know guided imagery can be you know really really helpful because it's a lot of it is about changing the narrative isn't it and i think you hear time and time again people saying oh you know i i deserve a glass of wine or you know i deserve a bar of chocolate or or whatever it is because that narrative of because i'm worth it which has just you know been the most horrendous marketing and using guided imagery to perhaps put in a different narrative a new narrative of you know what you do actually deserve and and the nurture and care and the kindness absolutely and and it's not about never having these things not celebrating because we are a society that celebrates with these foods or or drinks products but you know sugar is such a big one in this picture and sugar really can spike a hot flush you know that's very common in in women so it's a bit of doing a bit of a risk assessment you know there's a birthday coming up. Of course, we might have cake. Absolutely. But if you're aware of that, mm. as opposed to it just hitting you like a tsunami, it's that risk assessment. Yeah. Is it, you know, I, I'm going to have this cake. I know that I may get a hot flush or feel more anxious or feel more fatigued after I've had that sugar. However, I'm going to make sure that I counterbalance that with half a pint of water, water is key, key, key all the time, water, 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 hydration. How many clients do I see? And they get, well, I have a cup of tea in the morning and then have a sip of water at lunchtime. And then I have a couple of coffees and I'm like, whoa, just if you have hydration. So yeah, it's that risk assessment. I'm going to have that cake. I'm going to have this. I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to enjoy life. Absolutely. 100%. But working out what you can do to balance it out. I was just about to say, you know, the, the key really is, is balance there, isn't it? And and I guess, you know, again, that raising awareness, the hidden sugars that the people, you know, rather choose to forget maybe that a bottle of wine is a bottle of sugar. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the food industry are a bit like, oh, I can't think of a word to be polite, but, you know, I think they sit there going, how can we make our food more addictive? Hmm. And and sugar and salt, mm, let's make it more addictive because you want to eat more of it. Oh, we all fall into the trap. Oof. Totally. 
On um, um, part two that Gareth and I taught recently, there was a, um, a very interesting doctor of science on, on the course. And, and she said that the body has a natural limiter for how much salt we can take, how much sugar we can take and how much fat we can take. However, if all three of those are put together, that is switched off. So if you've got a food product that has the combination of being salty, sweet and fatty, such as, you know, some highly, highly orange colored um, corn chips made by um, various different producers, things like that, highly addictive, no off button. So this, I guess what you're talking about is those sorts of things. Absolutely, because then we just don't stop. Yeah. just keep on going and they, they don't satiate our appetite in any way shape or form because th- th- it's just a habit and and becomes a craving and then so that addiction is going there the only way we satiate our appetite is by having you know good fats absolutely lovely you know, omega-3s are key for menopausal women enough eating the rainbow all those vitamins and minerals then the body's going to go oh Okay, I feel satiated. So many people are overfed and undernourished. So you said about the healthy fats and and I guess, you know, what most people associate with being important when they're, if they are trying to lose weight that creeps on in middle age is going on a low fat diet. Um, But, you know, I think fortunately, uh, you know, we've been educated enough in more recent years that actually that, that can do more harm than good. So when you talk about healthy fats, what sorts of things can be helpful? Things like avocados, nuts, um, oily fish, mm-hmm. they're really uh, anything so that we can see that the omega-3s are in there, they're going to help. They help with moods as well. Um, there's lots of research about how having enough omega-3s can really benefit um, us, which with brain fog going on, we need some clarity in, in our thought processes. So absolutely and i guess another key point to that as well is not cutting out starchy carbohydrates as as well because no. you know we know that if if people do that the brain needs the the glucose and or the ketones but the the brain needs the glucose to be able to function so if we're cutting out these food groups yeah. then you know we we get that foggy thinking yeah. and raise stress levels and depressed. I mean, that, you know, that poor humble potato has had such a bashing, hasn't <laughs> it? But, but it's actually incredibly nutritious. But it's not nutritious if you pile it full of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's... Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So it's it's thinking about, you know, taking it back to, to you know, natural food sources, I think is what you're saying, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, really cutting down on on the, pro- the processed foods is going to be really beneficial which have got hidden sugars in sure but, but a lot of foods have got we call them photoestrogens and, and so photoestrogens are natural estrogens that can be found in food so the more of those that a, a midlife woman can can consume again naturally she can help to balance out that estrogen decline in her body so what sorts of foods contain them Uh, things like spinach lots of leafy uh chickpeas tofu there's lots of lovely foods out there that we can pile our plates up with you know and again it's this um i need to eat less food because in back to that diet industry you know to speed up our metabolic rate to have energy to metabolize ourselves we need to eat more food not less because it's going to get sluggish 
So by having a plate full of leafy greens and, a, and maybe a lovely potato and a piece of salmon and things like that, it's really going to speed that metabolic rate up. It's going to speed up how that food gets processed and goes through the body. Remember that, you know, a high fiber diet, if we if we reduce the toxins from our body, then the body's going to have a, a, an ability to balance our hormones. So if it's sluggish and slow, it's just going to hold on to those toxins. And uh, so, yeah. So, so it really seems that women are being pulled in two different directions. You know, they're, they're wanting to perhaps lose the weight that they've gained around around their middles or, or wherever it, it's gone on. And so therefore they might be influenced to eat less or eat low fat or cut out carbs. But at the same time, they're experiencing low levels of energy. So actually what they need to be doing is, is to be fueling their body more with the right sorts of things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can see how easily it can get so confusing about what's the right thing to do. Yeah, there's so much conflicting information out there, isn't there? Yeah. So I guess really, as we've said already, it's about raising awareness for the individual and for people around them as well. And I know that you've talked about, you know, self-care and, you know, perhaps a little bit of kindness as well to oneself and to, to people who might be going through the menopause. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's for me, education is key. Um, So, you know, I get asked now to go and deliver talks into the workplace so we can help people understand what's going on for their work colleagues and for themselves, whether they're taking that home to their partners or they're experiencing themselves. Prevention is better than cure. Uh, I believe that it should be on the school curriculum. That if we start to educate, so every adult should have an awareness of these hormones and how they can shift and how they can impact on our lives. And if we did think about men, again, not wanting to be too sexist, but if testosterone was something that commonly happened, the decline of for midlife men, I think men would want to know what was going on for them. Mm. Yes, and it, it certainly has been said before that if uh, the menopause was a male problem, it would have been sorted by now. That that's a very strong possibility that that could be very true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot that women can be doing to be able to to support themselves and to make small improvements to any of the the, the unpleasant things that they might be experiencing. And you know, you're obviously you know going out there and doing workshops and talks, which is fantastic. When would it be a good idea perhaps for somebody to maybe seek some one-to-one therapy? Again, (laughs) it depends. (laughs) So every woman is unique and every woman's journey is going to be unique. Um, And so if you've got a woman perimenopausal who isn't in any way joining any dots up thinking that she is menopausal, but is perhaps lacking in you know her sleep perhaps she might not be having the hot flushes but she could be anxiously um not not having the good quality sleep or if if she's beginning to feel her her weight is changing and she can't you know this is i've always done this i've always done that but something's not because the natural thing to do would be to either increase going to the gym or reduce the amount of food Mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking i wonder if this is anything to do with my hormones Mm. Mm. because then it's a bit like a dog chasing its tail she's going round and round in circles or hamster wheel to nowhere Mm. 
Mm. So helping to to get that that clarification and that that understanding. Yeah. But it, it is that self-awareness. So at any point then to come in and, and definitely go and see a client, a therapist one-to-one. But it's if you wait until it's catastrophic, if your life, so you know, we we have seen women take their own lives because they have got to such a point that they don't know what's going on. Their husbands have no idea what's going on. They're on this cycle of depression. They may be on antidepressant uh, medication, but they just cannot cope. Um, you know, one in 10 women hand in their notice. Wow. At work, because they just feel that they can't keep going. So, you know, wouldn't it be lovely to catch them? I think it's Desmond Tutu that said, it's all very well. We're pulling these people out of the river. But if we went upstream and worked out why they're falling in. And I think the menopause is a bit, for me, it's a little bit like that. If we can catch them before they fall into the river and they can set up a good quality of a lifestyle, getting things in place, then that shift, that transition could be so much more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Well, Kim, I think, I mean, certainly that's all the questions that I had for you today, but this is your area of expertise. So is there anything else that that you would like to add to any of what we've already discussed today? I I think it's for me, it's such an important topic. uh, And it's one that I know I could have you know bore people for hours and hours and hours on because it 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 really does impact on well-being and we want the very best for everybody to live a life well lived um and so you know i think it's don't give up hope that you can take some control you can manage this change uh it, it it is possible and just by talking to somebody with a with some understanding will really begin to make a difference uh, and, and if in doubt, you know, go to your GP. I, I give my clients letters to take to their GP and also a, a list of questions to ask. So they go forearmed to, to sit there because it's very easy to be bamboozled by by what a GP is, has got to say. Yeah, that's really helpful, Kim. Thank you so much. And all of the resources that uh, we've discussed today can be found in the podcast description, as well as links to Kim's website and her therapist profile on the Human Givens Register. Kim, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to to talk to us today. And I know that with roughly 50% of the world's population destined to go on this journey personally, and the other 50% likely to know somebody who is uh, on the journey, uh, your knowledge and advice and everything that we've covered today is going to be of a real help to our listeners. And thank you to our listeners as well for joining us. Until next time, goodbye.